Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another lovely day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Dave Brown, Chief Executive of TMD Technologies. TMD Technologies is a world-leading manufacturer of microwave tubes, high-voltage power and transmitters for radar, EW communications, EMC, RF testing, and other laboratory applications. Dave, hello. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? (laughs) It's uh, it's a complicated thing that, that varies by its context, but uh, for me, in, uh, in in running a business like TMD, uh, involves uh, being an ambassador for that business uh, through your words, deeds, and actions, um, ensuring that uh, you provide uh, the right model and context uh, for the teams that work for us uh, within the business, and and and, and specifically for me, it's. Um, it's ensuring uh, that uh, we manage the variations of the outside world in such a way that we can keep the business running in a straight and level manner. So uh, provide some level of buffer between the uh, between the sort of uh, political and uh, business context the world has and, mm-hmm. uh, and then how that boils down into to what our teams on a day-to-day basis have to do. Now, you manage a quite large team. Uh, are there any specific challenges involved in that? Um, so, uh, for me, the, the, the challenges involved in uh, running a team of... So, TMD uh, has around 180, 170, 180 employees, uh, you know, primarily in the UK and then uh, some in the US. Um, that, that's a, a size of organisation, which is the sort of uh, maximum size for a village. So it means that it's it. There's no way any one piece of information be kept quiet from anybody else within that village because the, the the gossip network works exceptionally well. <laughs> so so the challenge for me um, is ensuring uh, that, that the team feel that they're getting the right communication from their leaders, and there are lots of leaders throughout the organisation. Um, and they're not getting that information primarily through gossip. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, so strong communication and uh, you know, a real strong empowerment of all the leaders throughout the organisation, and, and they and they go through uh, from people with no formal uh, leadership position, but just take a a, a leading role within activities. So, it's, uh, there's a there's a real strong mix in our organisation of people who formally got. You know, team leader positions, you know, um, directors or, or management positions, but also those people within the shop floor teams who just take responsibility to themselves. Now, managing uh, personnel from two different uh, countries uh, must obviously have its own challenges. There are very distinct differences in the uh, work ideologies uh, between the yeah. UK and the US. Uh, run us through that a bit. So uh, yeah, there are strong cultural differences in in how work works between between the UK and the US. Uh, but the um, what we try and uh, do, and this isn't 100 percent successful, what we try and do is provide uh, a very European flavour to working in the US for our US team. So they understand that although they are, you know, very much a US company, uh, that, that group that works in the US, uh, it's within a context of a of a, of a European. 
company as its parent and provide some of those same benefits, but clearly within a legal framework that's uh, an American legal framework, which has you know has very different uh, uh, rules and laws and, and practices around uh, you know workers' rights and uh, and representation and that sort of thing. Do you find that the on the employee level that there are major differences in mindset between the American worker and the British one? Uh, actually, no, no, not on a uh, on a on a on a day to day basis. You could take one of the American team and slot them straight into my UK team, or vice versa. Uh, there are there, there are, so there are differences in in you know just terms of uh, notice and things like that, and the, the legal differences. But but really, on a I think we're quite good at, at having a common culture. Uh, across the organisation between the US and the UK. I mean, the US organisation is sort of 10 people, so it's, it's significantly smaller than the operation mm. we have in the UK. Uh, but, and, uh, but it works very, very closely with the UK team, so there'll be calls you know, several times a week. Uh, we have lots of people from the UK uh, going through the US, and in fact, I've got some people there now. And then we have, uh, likewise, we have people coming from uh, from uh, the US to, to be trained and to work over here to try and ensure we have that consistency of culture. Now, let's uh, look at this on a larger scale. What is your personal leadership style? So, um, uh, my, my personal philosophy around leadership is, is you can you can you can give people authority, but they can only take responsibility. Um, so. Uh, I try and provide an environment and a culture where people are happy to take responsibility, and that's providing them, you know, with the confidence to make decisions themselves, um, the confidence to understand that if they do make mistakes, that we're there to help them, and we're not there to to accuse them or to blame them. We're there to catch them if they make mistakes, and put a framework around people so they have that freedom to take. Yeah, take leadership decisions at a low, the lowest possible level within any organisation because the people who are the nearest the problem are always the people who are best placed to uh, to, to take responsibility for fixing a problem. So, uh, and that, that that's certainly uh, the the culture we try and operate within the business, and certainly my personal um, feeling how leadership works best. So it's key to provide a supportive uh, framework. Yes, exactly. So it's a it's a framework where people have the, you know, have the bravery uh, to take risk and to make decisions, but understanding that that those those uh, decisions will be supported by those people in the the leadership frameworks around them and above them. How did you come to your personal leadership style? Was this influenced by someone earlier on in your career that you either worked with or for? Uh, yeah, no, I worked with um, uh, a. a Guy called uh, uh, Steve Wadey, who's now the uh, CEO of Kinetic, um, uh, very closely with him earlier in my career, and he was a, a very strong influence on on the leadership style uh, that I developed. And also, I think uh, beyond that, I worked on some um, very uh, fast-moving crash engineering programs, uh, where it became uh, because of the very compressed nature of the activity. Uh, we were doing, uh, it became clear the only way that 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 program, those programs could work is if everybody took decisions as soon as they needed to be made. And and, uh, going through that as an experience then made me realize that's actually, for me, the most efficient way for an organization to run is for the people who are nearest the problems to make the decisions around how to solve them. Now, 
What advice would you give to a young person looking to join your industry? Um, I would. Uh, oh, uh, that's a really good question. So um, the first, the first piece of advice I typically give to young people is that don't worry too much about your career until you're thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, a second uh, and get a good grounding and, and spend the period between when you leave school and 30 ensuring you understand you know what you want to do and you're you're doing a role or a, a career that uh, is something that makes you happy uh, then the, the second piece of advice would be is um, is you know is provide your you know particularly if you're in there and I suppose I, I can talk most strongly from an engineering perspective um, uh, is ensuring you have a, a good technical grounding in the area you're going into. Now, in a more general management and leadership perspective, is um, you know, get involved early and learn from your mistakes. Because mm-hmm. really, uh, the first management position I had, I was absolutely atrocious, uh, so, <laughs> uh, and uh, and and quickly realised uh, the style and technique that I was applying wasn't working at all. And uh, and had to and 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 the people I was managing, I just sat down with them and said, "This isn't working. How would you do it better?" And actually, they were very uh, very generous and uh, and gave me some very strong pointers on how I should improve. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Be prepared to learn from your mistakes and identify that you will make them. Well, Dave, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next twelve months have in store for TMD Technologies? Uh, so, uh, for the, the next 12 months, we've got some really exciting opportunities to win business in the U.S. You know, we already do half, around half our business in the U.S. And um, uh, U.S. defense spending is, you know, on a strong upward tick. Uh, and, uh, and we've got some very good opportunities to win, you know, a bigger share of that business. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, uh, we're, what we're hoping to do is to, um, is to capitalize on the opportunities we've got over the coming year both in the U.S. and uh, in some of our Asian markets as well. Well, Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. I very much hope you come back on the show soon to uh, give us an update on uh, how TMD is doing. Dave, thank you. Thank you very much. That was Dave Brown, Chief Executive of TMD Technologies. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure your delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the... Party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she could reach out to people that others can't. So 
I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two. Uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, Uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms Mm. of Uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I could think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher Home Secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a a single nation just off the coast of Europe and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in. But how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, An ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over-65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, And And climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding 
that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis... And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times... Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions, and anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities. They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and... I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm -hmm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game. 
Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after week. No, I, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield. So I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good About Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it's change, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0. And then five you lose 5-0 at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in the situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and there may have something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again well i'm a chelsea fan so i'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute um (laughs) but i would like to pick up on another point you just made actually david about choosing a strong team people that compliment you a lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened Mm. and I imagine I I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it. If they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm. Prime Minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the Cabinet, as I speak at the moment, people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa a, for a, a, an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah.
Uh, that's and also I should add that is how uh, all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Not quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you. Whether you're in public service, the charities or you're driving a business that actually says this is why I get up in the morning so you've got to have something internal to yourself the, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you, you can take pride without being egotistical there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better and that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the the people who are unhappy in their skin, they, they... it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Centre mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognise, which is why... Being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very, uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit 
uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January, and where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in, indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months... I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. (laughs) This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.